Blog Talk Radio.
Father, we praise you, Lord. Lord, We thank you, Father God, for the days that we are in right now. We thank you for the trials and tribulations that we are each going through. We praise you, Lord, for all the, everything that is happening around the world and helping us to be on the edge of our seat and to be ever and perpetually and and, uh, never-endingly, I don't know if that's even a word, just excited about the days that we are in right now and wanting to draw in closer to you in prayer and worship, residing in the secret place of the Most High, being everything. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you want for us to be. We pray, Father, um, that, and thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for every single person that helps out with this program. Thank you, Father, for every prayer uh, that is uh, lifted up before you in the form of a petition, uh, petition or even in speaking in tongues. We praise you for that and the ability for us to be able to do that. Uh, those of us who have been so gifted, and we pray in the name of Jesus, those who have not yet received it or believe that they've received it we pray that they will go back a couple of prayer vigils uh back and um and uh and uh listen to that program and be blessed by it and seek you father god and seek that gift because it's a wonderful gift that bypasses the hindrances of the darkness and allows our prayers to jettison directly into the throne room father we praise you for the days we're in we just thank you for them we thank you for the things that are happening over in ukraine we praise you for the evil that is that has been allowed to occur and to happen uh to so many people across the world and so many different uh, diversities uh, and uh, because these things are those things which we were admonished about many years ago in, in the prophetic tongue uh, uh, the darkness that was uh, predicted to rise and certainly is in the process of rising and we know that in the middle of this darkness as it is rising there are more and more people that are coming to you we praise you for the churches that are uh, on their knees that you know maybe they're not perfect you know wh- whoever they may be but we praise you for every single individual over in the Ukraine every single person 
person in Africa that it, you know that lives in in daily fear of of of, uh, of uh, practicing their faith in in Jesus and and because we understand that these dynamics these world ugly dynamics that are happening now and are going to get a lot worse are going to bring more and more people to the throne to the foot of the cross uh, into the throne room and just to glorify your holy name Father God for all of eternity we pray in the name of Jesus that there is a greater remnant bride than was ever conceived before there was time when the universes were being divided up when 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 the very beginning of of light was being conceived uh, Father we just pray in the name of Jesus that the, that the, there is a greater remnant bride a, a, a more a, a more humongous blessing than is that, that than was uh, planned uh, uh, again since before there was time Father God we just pray that you are blessed we thank you for being who you are we thank you for the changes that you are brought about in our lives we thank you for the faith that we continue to have in the midst of days that where a lot of people are losing their faith or never really had strong enough faith to begin with and we pray for each of them Lord we just thank you for raising up uh, a, a whole new body of the Lord Jesus Christ a whole new and, and also awakening those who are in the churches and churchianity some of them uh, to a uh, to a new reality, to a reality that is one that requires many phases to go through uh, and hopefully arrives and brings them to a place of joy because they know that they are on the edge of uh, standing before their Lord Jesus. And Father, uh, and, and we just thank you. And, and, and Lord Jesus, now to him who is able to, give, uh, to keep us from stumbling, Jesus, our King and our friend, and to present us faultless someday before the presence of your glory, Father God, with exceeding joy. And Father, to you, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Watch and pray For I would come For you one day I gave you my word So you would know The time I'd come And take you It's time for you to look around The signs I gave for coming down Don't be called a sleeping blind You don't want to be left Come and be home. 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 Come and be holy, 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, it's funny, Sister Vera is up uh, <laughs> in the great white north, eh? And she's letting me, she's telling me that the uh, sound is good. And um, and I'm sitting here listening to the the um, you know I don't know what they call it it's not feedback but it's a um, a thing that your mixer allows you to do where it sends your voice back in through the system into your headset so you can hear what you sound like although it doesn't tell you what you sound like to the people that are listening to the radio show that's the bad part <laughs> but anyway what's really funny is she's going oh it sounds good and I'm sitting here thinking wow it sounds really crummy tonight what is wrong with the mixer. <laughs> hilarious can't seem to get anything right and oh oh, by the way speaking of not getting anything right it's a journey folks i mean please i i I, you know here i'll 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 read this i feel led to read this i'm gonna go ahead and do it all right hold on a second i gotta get out my notes i gotta find it because i've got multiple accounts because i'm a geek okay hold on a second happiness notes prayer request prayer time nehemiah ddd uh, oh, there's the little uh, witticism or po- poem from uh, Leonard Ravenhill about being alone. That one's beautiful. Uh, wisdom, D-D-D-D. Why don't I have it at the top? It should be at the very top of my list. This is, um, you know, I, okay, now hold on a second. Now I have it. Now where is it? This is bumming. Oh, there it is. Yay. Hey, hey. The re-entered into my, um, into my uh, keep, uh, and I got to hit, hit the light here. There we go, so I can see what I'm doing. All right, listen to this. A day is not a lifetime. And uh, if the mountain seems too big today, then climb just a hill instead. If the morning brings you sadness, it's okay to stay in bed. If the day ahead weighs heavy and your plans feel like a curse, there's no shame in rearranging. Don't make yourself feel worse. If a shower stings like needles and a bath feels like you'll drown. If you haven't washed your hair for days, don't throw away your crown. A day is not a lifetime. A rest is not a defeat. Don't think of it as a failure. Just think of it as a quiet, kind retreat. It's okay to take a moment from an anxious, fractured mind. The world will not stop turning while you get yourself realigned. The mountain will still be there when you want to try again. You can climb it in your own time. Just love yourself until then. In Jesus' name, praise God. You know, I was just talking to a friend, and she was saying, you know, she was <laughs> – okay, so it's kind of funny, really, when you think about it. So I can't – you know, but uh, she, she was, um, I don't know, being overly unnaturally happy. And I was like very – you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm an HSP, you know, like on an empath side of the HSP world. And, um, you know, and that's a highly sensitive person for those of you who don't understand that. Uh, when you get above, I think, a 14 on the test, you start going into the realm of what is referred to as an empath, which basically means that you're a sponge for other people's emotions. And then uh, along with that comes another part, another thing, which is a super high level of sensitivity to how other people are saying 
saying things, even over text messaging, even over emails, you know, you can be super duper, I mean, super duper 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 insanely highly sensitive to the choice of their words, the way that they said things, order the order of the events, the order that they say things, all those things can send you like a subliminal sort of a message that something just isn't right. And then, you know, it's that empathy, empathy thing. Well, anyway, like signals of like hyper happiness from someone who is not normally quite that hyper happy. And I thought to myself, okay, something's not right here. So anyway, um, I started probing and realized that um, she was just in her baby step phase of that book, Choosing Happier, that I was recommending. And I and, and my big my biggest part of the recommendation of reading that book, if you try if you do decide to get Choosing Happier and read, I'm on my second time through it. You know, you gotta you can't it's practice, man. To practice makes perfect. Um, it's like I told you about with the guitar. You know, if you stop playing the guitar for a while, you're going to get real, 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 real. Well, you're just going to unlearn it is what will happen. You won't be able to do anything. Um, and it's the same thing with um, all of these things. You know, the the cognitive behavioral, behavioral thera- therapy, you know, CBTs, um, which is really just, you know, renewing of your mind, putting an effort forth, you know, uh, you know, uh, like I like I jokingly said, say, bingo it. I don't care what I don't, you know, hey, I'm all worried about this. I'm all worried about bingo it. I don't care. You know, I'm just not going to, I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to lay it at the foot of the cross. That is his problem. And I have, I am choosing to be happy. I'm choosing. I'm going to be happy tonight. I'm going to be happy tomorrow. Yes. I know that I've got a lot of things to be unhappy about. I know that I could fill up two pages of a legal tablet and a snap and I wouldn't even have to take a, I wouldn't even have to have a donut in between. I'd just 30 items. I'd be, you know, really super duper good reasons why I should be not happy, but I'm choosing being happier. Okay. All right. So like, you know, that's my, I'm real big on this. I mean, this is one of the things in, 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 you know, I'm super duper 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 big on, um, you know, applied Christianity. I've looked, you know, my whole life, you know, I'm 60 and I've been, you know, Assembly of God, Pentecostals. I've been to so many Jesus get together groups of people that are, you know, and they read their Bibles and they, you know, and we're supposed to be full of joy and happiness, but yet we have a bazillion things that are beating us half the day. You know, we're just getting kicked. We're getting, you know, going through a lot of ugly stuff, you know, and um, I just think it's fake. You know, the Bible says to us, you know, uh, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we should weep with those who weep. You know, then you go through the Beatitudes and you go through, you know, blessed are the, you know, you know, the, 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 um, those who grieve, you know, it just goes through a big list and they're on all positive um, uh, personality um uh, phases, if you will. All right. So, you know, th- th- it's all part of our walk and, um, you know, learning to deal with all of those things, the pros and the cons, the ups and the downs. And some of the downs are really down. I mean, they're way down. As a matter of fact, I, I won't say that this is a general rule for sure, but I would submit that most, uh, I would submit that uh, because of the, uh, because of us being prime, can uh, what, what did you call it? Public enemy number one. That's what I was looking for. Because we are publicly public enemy number one of Satan, all right? And because we are public enemy number one of Satan, we, he's going to come up with ways, believe you me, through, through our kids, through our husbands, through our best friends, through people that we care about, through people at work. I mean, if there is something that the devil can make someone say in a certain tone of voice or, or do or behave, uh, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be over a short period of time. It could be over years of time a, a person could be going through a lot of this stuff. And, uh, and it is hard. 
Because we, you know, when the devil comes after us, because we're public enemy number one, it it isn't just random. You know, he's not just saying, I'm just going to throw a tomato at this person and see how it goes. It isn't like that. It is strategic. It is evil. It is planned out to really mess us up bad. Okay, and that is exactly what the devil wants to do. And so then you run across, you know, uh, churchianity, which troubles me in the greatest of – because when you're a highly sensitive person, when you're an emotional sponge, one of your one of the side effects of your walk is you can sense um, – what is the word? Um, insincere – like you can sense platitudes from like thousands of miles away. You can, you're like, oh my gosh, here comes a platitude, and it's like you can feel like the, the energy from its afterburners coming as it's pointing right at you, another platitude. And you're kind of like going to yourself, no, 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 you know, you, you don't want – you hate platitudes. You don't want people telling you goody, goody, you know, two shoes, whoop-de-doo, happy-doo. You're about sincerity. You want a person to be real. Okay. You know, that's why I like to refer to a lot of the stuff we talk about on this program as being applied Christianity. It's the difference between those who fake it, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. I don't like the fake it till you make it kind of thing because to me it seems insincere. Now, if you can work on that and make it a sincere effort, then that's a good thing. Praise God. All right. And I'd have to go into so many examples to give you an explanation of what I mean by that. But um, but anyway, for those of us who have experienced churchianity over, you know, decades and decades and decades of time, we certainly all have run across people that are going through difficult times or have recently gone through exceeding, like lost a loved one, lost a daughter, lost a son to COVID, whatever the case may be, that, you know, that, that, you know, then they, and you meet them and they're kind of like, you know, it is abnormal for you not to grieve. It is abnormal for you not to be sad. It is abnormal, oh, you know, and so if you know it's abnormal for them not to be real, then when they're faking it until they make it, you can sense that. You know what I mean? And it, it, you know, and of course, because of kindness and everything like that, praise God. Um, oh, no. Okay, this uh, one thing here is trying to bug me to do something right now. And I'm going to tell it no. All right. So anyway, but uh, anyway, we, we don't want to fake it till we make it. See, that's the key. Choosing happier, and I, I'm not trying to pitch you the, pitch of the book or anything, but I'm, I am trying to pitch the concept. Choosing happier is not something that happens overnight. You don't start reading the book Choosing Happier and then force yourself to be happy. Because in a, I'm sorry to say this, but you're missing a point. It is a journey. And on that journey, you are going to step in some really deep, nasty mud puddles with ugly in it. And it's going to rip you out of the book. It's going to rip you. I mean, who is that? You know, Dan and uh, uh, Jen. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Darren and Jen. When we had them on the show, what a blessing that was. And we, we kind of touched upon that that idea. Um, it, it you know it is it, it's all a it's a journey. You have to go through it. You don't instantaneously change. That's the whole reason why the you know the 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 uh, the wise and the foolish virgins have that disparity. You know why? Okay, what's the biggest thing to pull away from the wise and foolish virgins? There's a couple of big things, but you know what's one of the biggest things that hardly anybody notices, but is really huge. 
It is the fact that the foolish virgins had to go back and buy more oil. What's up with that? Ah, the reason is because the journey is what gives you the extra oil in your vessel. That's the key to understanding. It's the journey that causes you to have the extra oil in your vessel. It's not, you don't like say, in the mighty name of Jesus, I command the extra oil in my vessel. It doesn't work like that. It's part of the journey, that conditioning, that real, legitimate, true, soul-level, heartfelt change that comes over you over time. Okay, so yes, you can go through a phase, for example, um, starting to read that book, you know, Choosing Happier and saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, because I'm going through some real, I mean, dagnabbit ugly. I'm going through some dagnabbit, and I'm using this as an example. And the person that's going through that dagnabbit, super duper duper ugly, is not, they're not going to be able to read, they're going to read the book, they're going to get the concepts, but they might have to read the book a couple of times. There's a difference between practiced change, practiced um, uh, display of emotion, and true change that occurs deep inside of you where when you choose to be happy, you're doing it because you truly are. You're not faking it. You're you're not taking a piece, you know, a uh, white paint and painting over a, a black stain on your drywall. You're you, you really that you've gotten the black stain out. And anyway, I I could go on and on and on about this. It is a journey. That's the main thing I just wanted to share with anybody. For anybody out there that is going through just a big old pile of ugly, okay, and you would like to make the journey. You would like to get to that place where you are choosing happiness or or happier. Not choosing, you know, it's never going to be perfect. Well, life is never going to be perfect. You're going to have ups, you're going to have downs, and that's just how it goes. All right, but there is, when you, you know, just to share, when you're reading that, you know, if you are reading that book or doing some other method, maybe you will lead you to another method to help you to choose happier, uh, which is part of, you know, uh, I believe with all of my heart, it is part of, um, uh, you know, that whole concept of, you know, uh, you know, improving your mind, you know, and how you're thinking, thinking and getting rid of it. And it's really, really hard because it's so contrary to our nature. Our nature is to look at things and say, doggone it, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, and so it was the very nature indeed of the, um, uh, 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 Israelites, and it's the it's the quintessential reason why Psalm seventy eight forty one, one of my favorite verses, is in the Bible in the first place. Again and again, they tempted God and limited, limited the Holy One of Israel. Man, oh Daisy, is it hard? Oh my gosh, can you imagine losing a child? Or you know, I mean, the the, the I could just give you so many examples of people that are friends of mine, people that I talk to from around the world that are going through some really, oh my gosh, hard times. And I, I honestly, I don't know if I could deal with it. I mean, I've gone through my own share of hard times, and I, you know, and I know the Lord says He doesn't, you know, give us something, you know, that's greater than we can handle and all that. I don't know. All I can say is that some of the hard times that some of the people that I know are going through are way worse than I don't think I don't think I could deal with it. 
I really don't. And I want, I, and, and I guess the Lord, somehow he pulls us through. But um, anyway, it's, it's a journey, folks. It's a journey. And yes, during that journey, if you're on a journey and you're on a hike and you're hiking on this really narrow path and you're going around this really t- tall, tall mountain, and if you slip off the mountain, it could be kind of bad. You might get hurt really, really bad. You could break both of your legs. You can be in a really bad place. So you really you don't want to fall through the guardrail. You don't want to slip off the narrow path. You, you want to try your best to make it, but it's real. It's on a very treacherous. It's treacherous, man. There's rattlesnakes and water moccasins hanging from the trees, and there's there's parts of the path that have been eroded away by rains and thunderstorms and hail and all kinds of things. And you might step on one of them and slip down and all kinds. Oh my gosh! And you might be in one of those places, you know, where that path that Neural path is just covered with jagged rocks and rattlesnakes. Maybe you're up to your neck in rattlesnakes and alligators. Does that mean you're going to have a, you know, Jim Dandy good time? Does that mean you're going to jump out of bed tomorrow and go, Yahoo, more rattlesnakes and alligators? No. You're still a human. So the, the, the whole concept of going through this journey is understanding first and foremost what sort of a journey you're going to go on. If you know that you're going to go hiking, you want to know what the hike looks like. You want to have a little hike map. You want to understand that you, you know, there's this really treacherous part of the journey. Is I used to hike a lot up in Smoky Mountains, and there's a lot of them like that, where if you don't know what you're up against, you're going to end up having to turn around and go back for real because there's some stuff up on some of those hikes in, in the Smoky Mountains that, you know, if they don't, you know, you're going to fall and kill yourself, okay? And you don't want to do that, all right? So you sort of kind of want to know what you're up against. You want to have some expectation that's realistic regarding your journey, and you want to try to prepare yourself for that journey, but, you know, you prepare yourself. And so you know that you're going to go through a treacherous place. You know that there are going to be jagged rocks. You know that you could slip and fall and die. You know that there's going to be water mocking thing from the tree. You know that there's going to be rattlesnakes around every corner. You get all of that. But you're okay with it. It's part of the journey, and you expect it. See, when you get to the when if you're at a place in your life where you're having a hard time um, coming to grips with who you are in the kingdom, coming to grips with the fact that you're gonna, you know, have some ugly to deal with. I don't even know what my next pile of ugly is going to be. I don't even want to imagine it, which is why I bingo it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to think about it. I try my best to help as many people as I can fight their way through the journey of choosing happier. And choosing happier doesn't mean you make all the ugly go away. It simply means that you you have made a choice, and you're giving it to the Lord. And you're going to go through the next day, and you're going to have a smile on your face. Did you know that when you are smiling, truly, truly smiling, that it is not possible to, you know, unless you really try, it's almost impossible to have a negative thought. Did you know that? I know that's a weird, creepy, not creepy, but just a bizarre sociological truth about human beings. If you're truly smiling, it sends some sort of signals or something to your brain and to your heart, maybe even into your spirit. And when you are truly smiling, it, it you know, so, so what I've even tried to do is when I'm going, when I, I'm getting that really super bad news and stuff, I try to put a smile on my face. I try to think of something good. So again, with the, you know, with that book, you know, when it talks about meditation, just meditate on Jesus. 
switch around for Jesus. Hallelujah. And um, like I said, I'm on my second way through it. And, you know, folks, we got to get ourselves to a place. I don't know how we're going to do it. All I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you my journey. And I have not arrived. I, you know, my my four wheel drive is broken. My, it no longer works in four wheel drive. It only works in two wheel drive. Okay, uh, the tires are pretty close to being worn totally down and, and bare. There's hardly any tread left. Okay, my engine is puttering and sputtering, and it's in a lot of pain to climb a hill, and it's going up into a hill. It's going up a hill into this, like, I don't know, this field known as the Sorrows Period. And I'm trying to, like, enter up into it, and my tires are slipping because I don't have any tread, but it's all part of the journey. And learning and conditioning, there's a difference between learning and practicing and conditioning. When you have reached a point of conditioning, you have come to a place where, and it's okay to be on the journey. There's nothing wrong with being on the journey. But don't be surprised when somebody who knows you says to you, are you okay? Because when you're practicing that journey, when you're trying to be more positive in the midst of the ugly, people are going to pick up on it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's okay to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm just working on having a more positive attitude. Because part of that journey is coming to that place where it, it's automatic, where you've made up your – you've been bashed and beaten and taken down so many times. This is part of that whole thing you hear about in church all the time. Uh, you know, and I'm not – you know, this isn't a pro or a con about church or churchianity. This is just – whenever – this is a very popular topic, and that popular topic is about, um, you know, God will crush you down and then build you back up again as a new person. Okay? When you accept the crushing – and you realize that how cool it is that God loves you enough to bring you to the new place that you need to come to. And that all of this stuff doesn't really mean anything. That's the hardest part of all. Is all of this stuff that we're going through on the earth is really kind of not all that important. It seems important to you. It makes you upset that your, that your mother said that to you. It makes you upset that your daughter says that to you. It makes you upset that so-and-so did this to you or they lied to you or whatever the case is. But you've got to let it go. Give the demonic devil, darkness, evil stuff to the devil. And just wake up like Smith Wigglesworth did and look Satan directly in his eyes and say, oh, it's just you. And choose happier. But recognize that you're on a journey. And that journey is going to still have days that, you know, when you, you know, that taking a shower feels like needles. You don't feel like washing your hair. Doesn't mean the battles – look, spiritual warfare. Why do they call it spiritual warfare? What is in a war? Battles. Do you win every battle? No, you don't. You don't. Our lives are spiritual warfare by their very definition. Praise God. And are we going to win every, every battle? No, we're not. Sometimes we're just going to have a downright crummy, yucky day, okay? And I'm, you know, choosing my, you know, 
I don't even like to use Disneyisms anymore. You know, it's like Disney's turning into some kind of a creepy evil. It's not as if they weren't always kind of there, but oh man. Anyway, the whole world. Praise God, thank you, Jesus. The whole world is turning. It's like there's no way you, you turn to the left, there's evil. Turn to the right, there's evil. Turn, look up, there's evil. Look down, there's evil. You know, it, it, it's, it's evil, 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 evil. Everywhere you look, and you know what? You just have to give it to God. Because you know what? That evil is going to crawl. It's going to be like this black, icky, gooey, nasty, La Brea tar pit darkness. You know, and do you want to overcome it? Do you want to overcome it? Everybody wants to overcome it, but I don't know that we overcome it by faking it until we make it. We've got to overcome it, and that's why I'm – like I said, I am I am vulnerable, folks. I am reading that little book. It's just a little booklet. It's like something you would pick up at a five and dime. It's called Choosing Happier, and I like it. It's a short, quick read. It hits, goes right to the crux of the matter and the points, and you can convert them all over to Christianness, okay, Jesusness, okay, and that's what I do. And it really it, it makes a lot of sense, praise God. But it, it comes with a journey, and that journey is learning to bingo it, learning to feel, oh boy, this is negative, this isn't going to be pretty, I, and know that, know what your response is going to be. Know that you every bone in your body, every electrical impulse from the tip of your highest hair to the bottom of your feet is you know yourself you know how you're going to respond to it and it's not going to be you know a positive response and that's where you just have to say it is yours lord and you choose you choose to not be concerned about it you know what there's a saying and i love this saying my life is full of cataclysms that never happened right kids My life is full of cataclysms that never happened. Why is that? Because the Lord is trying to show you that he has your life under control. How many of us can just think about it? Look back upon our lives and identify. I can can give you – if I – was having a good day and did a, did a three-hour, you know, uh, testimony on my life. I, I don't think that I could run out of impossible things that have happened in my life, even when I was seeped in sin, where I – that was God. That was God. I shouldn't be alive right now. I should have been in jail. I should have done this, that, the other thing. Just a big old list, one thing after another. They're all impossible. They weren't coincidences. It couldn't have been that way. And when, and when you look back on all those things, it's like your life is full of cataclysms that didn't happen. Then doesn't that somehow indicate that we need to come to that Isaiah 26, 3 You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. God promises to keep us in peace. What is peace? Do we know? We know what we think peace is. But what is peace truly? I believe as close as we're going to come in this dark place, planet Earth... To true peace, 
is when we really let it go. When we're no longer trying. When we recognize that our whole lives, our whole lives are full of cataclysms that didn't happen. A bazillion things that we worried ourselves sick about that never came true. And truly trust God because it's not our problem. Jesus has us in his hands and our Father has us in his hands. Praise God. All this other stuff is some kind of weird holographic movie going by and we got to let it go. Forget about the bald tires. Forget about the days of sorrow. Forget about it. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. And that is a journey. It is a difficult thing to do. And I just praise Jesus. I just hope that, it, you know, anybody that can grab a hold of this, that can go start the, start the journey. Just don't expect, just don't become discouraged and recognize that part of that journey to really letting it all go and truly trusting God is rife with plenty of opportunities to fall, stumble, go through grief. Because, you know, the second that the devil sees that you're, you're learning, you're truly learning to give it to the Lord, the second that the devil sees that you're really succeeding and you're getting there, guess what? Let me get a little bumpier. That's just how it goes. Right, kids? All right. Hallelujah. All right, kids. Okay. Once again, I forgot. I don't want to read that one again. It is a very funny joke. Wait a minute. What is going on? How could this be happening? Oh, I know what's going on. Okay. Never mind. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Yep. I just got a... Uh, it's a long story, but the computer blew up, and I'm working on a kind of a limping, not fully operational application in order to do the show notes tonight. So I'm sure something else will go bad. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. I mean, thank you, Jesus. You know, when you've got your, your face, hopefully we all have our faces, uh, you know, on large posters right there in Satan's office in hell as public enemy number one or whatever, or the top 15 most wanted. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Kids, if you have 15 cows and I've already read that one. See, I'm, I, I have so many, so many wonderful jokes that I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, when you're working, uh, when your applications start blowing up and you keep track of what, um, uh, what jokes that you told and what jokes that you didn't tell, uh, and then everything just starts blowing up and now your Microsoft Word isn't working and things totally corrupted. No, just a blast. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. What was the first animal? I'll let me see if I can go back far enough and actually find a new joke. What was the first animal in space, kids? What was the first animal in space? <laughs> okay, kids. The cow that jumped over the moon. <laughs> Come on. I know it's kind of lame, but, you know. All right. Okay, let's try another one, kids. Why don't elephants chew, chew gum? They do, just not in public. Oh, that was why is that funny? I know, I know. I, I'm I'm with you, kids. I'm with you, kids. At least I'm honest about it. Kids, what is a computer's favorite snack? Computer chips. <laughs> you can't just have just one. Computer. Oh, come on, kids, get with the program. All right. 
Well, all this means is now that I'm working on an alternate application, a PDF version. I don't know. It was the weirdest thing. I was working. I, oh, I spent an hour on the show notes getting everything arranged. It was all good. I was converting it over to a PDF. I had to upload it to the, uh, to the website so that I could progress forward with the various bazillion steps that I have to take in order to prepare for a show. And then for some strange, peculiar reason, I go back to Microsoft Word and all of my data is gone. What's really fascinating is I know the data was there because I, I said file save as PDF because I upload PDFs to the website. But when I go back to the Word document, which I saved as a PDF for tonight's show to upload to the website, I go back to the Word document and all of the articles are gone. How is that possible? I've been doing computers for so long, most people didn't even know that what, you know, what the word computer, you know, the Atom computer was popular back then, okay? The, um, you know, the, the uh, TRS-80 at Radio Shack was taking over the world when I started. It's not possible, okay? I say, how is it possible? But it's essentially a rhetorical question. Just remember, crawling is acceptable, falling is acceptable, puking is acceptable, crying is acceptable, pain is acceptable, quitting is not. Ha ha! Ha ha, praise God, thank you, Jesus. And on that note, let's move into the news. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, it's not normal. This is disturbing. Game over. All right, praise God. So just don't – the moral of the story is that was a very long version to give you this simple moral. Don't give up. Just keep on trying. Let it go. Give it to God. It's going to take practice. But don't get discouraged on the journey because the journey is three-quarters, if not 99% of the battle. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, um, hey, I wanted to uh, do a shout-out of thanks uh, to Sister Annie for sending this to me um, uh, it, it, because it, what a blessing. What an amazing – what, what, what an astonishing blessing. Praise God. So evidently there's this fellow. Now, I did send the, the information over to Sister Nancy, and I am hoping very deeply that Sister Nancy will remember to follow through even in the midst of her trials and tribulations and things. We all have them. Uh, and she will get in touch with this guy, come heck or high water. I would love to have this particular individual on the program. This, uh, this subtitle is A Man Dies and God Tells Him About the Rapture. Now, um, but here's the cool p- for me. Okay, for the cool part for me is uh, when this man is told about the rapture, uh, you know, I, I assume in heaven. I have not listened to the testimony as of yet. Um, he was told that there were three of them. Imagine that. Three. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So the um, uh, confirmations on the multi-phased rescue mission, which was the title I gave the article I wrote back in, I guess, 2011, 
I was just reading Luke 12 verses 35, 36, 37 about the, you know, second watch and third watch and all that. And I thought about it a little bit. and I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because I read parables like they're newspapers. They're literal. And when I read it, I was like, well, Jesus is coming back from the marriage supper. And he's telling the second watch and the third watch, blessed are you. And he takes them back with him. So where's the first watch? And that then it hit me, and I thought, well, this may indicate that there are more than one rapture. I called it the multi-phase rescue mission uh, article. Um, and, you know, back then I didn't write very well either. I can hardly go back and read the articles I wrote in 2009 because my writing abilities were really poor. But anyway, um, but yeah, and then you know, other things happened, and I've given this testimony a multitude of times, we'll say, and um, and there have been very super, super duper duper natural things that have happened to me that were confirmations. So the Lord co- confirms it both supernaturally and then, you know, through the words, the mouths, the thoughts, the testimonies, the dreams and the visions of other people, sometimes the prophetic words of other people. But I didn't get any – I got zero confirmations. Uh, 2010 uh, – I'm sorry, 2012 – 2013, zero confirmations, 2014, 2015, zero confirmations, 2016, 2017, zero confirmations. I got no confirmations. I just wrote the article and said, there you go. Hit the send button, you know, hit the the post button and the thing posted. All right. So anyway, I don't want to get too wrapped up in it, but I am very, very pleased. Thank you, Jesus. We've had multiple confirmations, including a man with a book that, that he wrote about it that came on the show. And now we have this gentleman that we're hoping will also be able to bring on the show. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that good news, kids? All right. Hallelujah. Now I'm looking at the time and this is bumming me out. I, I have run out of time. So what I'm going to do, oh, this is not good. Okay, um, let me look here. I'm just checking the time. That's a minute long. Minute and 41. Two minutes, two minutes. Two, 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 four, six, seven, eight. That's 10 minutes. Oh, you don't have time. Um, we got, I, I got some uh, additional commentary from uh, Sister Tatiana over, uh, you know, she, she's uh, speaking in regard to the people that she knows over in Odessa in the Ukraine, and she shared a lot of really cool stuff. And I wanted to share that with you tonight, but I have run out of time. Um, and I like to try to keep Gary on schedule because he's definitely, you know, likes to be on schedule. I mean, you can, you can tell. And um, so anyway, I, I'm going to just go ahead and move directly into the news. Here we go. All right, praise God. This man cannot remain in power, says Tucker Carlson, and he calls for invoking the 25th Amendment against Joe Biden. (laughs) Okay, but like hasn't like 10,000 other people said the same thing for the last five years? I don't know. I I, I think Glenn Beck is calling in on line three here. It it looks like it. Line three, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's him. Nothing happens. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody pays for a thing anymore. All right. Hallelujah. Next one up. Video. Thousands of motorists drive through Berlin flying flags in support of Russia. And uh, it's actually, it's not just Berlin. 
Um, it's, it's all over the place. There are, I don't know where they're coming from and I don't know how they're finding out about one another. And I don't know how they're collect, you know, saying, Hey, let's be part of a group and drive through the streets and do all those kinds of stuff. But there are people in all sorts of different countries all over the world that are, that they're, you know why it, 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 nobody's happy about any kind of a war action. Nobody wants things to go that bad. Okay. It's not about that. It's about the new world order. It's about the global reset. It's about Klaus Schwab. It's about Fauci not hanging from gallows. Okay. Vengeance is God, saith the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's not for me. I, I wouldn't even say that. If I thought there was even a chance in, in all the universes that Fauci was a human being, which I do not, I've seen the evidence that he is not. Therefore, I don't have a problem saying what I said. Okay, now if he was human, it would be more like, Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. And the jury's out on Gates. I haven't seen any physical evidence that he's a tear, but he might be, and, he, and highly likely is. All right, but anyway, so um, there are, just so you know, FYI, uh, all over the world, all over the world, there are bunches and bunches and bunches of people getting together, you know, in rallies and things like that, flying Russian flags and beeping their horns, you know, like they did for Donald Trump. Because why? It isn't about Russia versus Ukraine. It isn't like that. It's about Nazis. It's about the new world order. It's about the global reset. It's about understanding that the pandemic, the poisoning and the slaughtering of mankind and the millions that are going to die from autoimmune disorders, from taking the, 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 uh, the, the, you know, the uh, mRNA and, and multiple shots of it. That's what it is. These people are getting smart. People around the world realize it's all connected. And they're over it. And Putin is the only one in the world that's doing anything about it. He's focusing on the Nazi problem, but that's a big part of it. Because it's that idealism that makes the FEMA camps, that causes them to launch eugenics-based bioweapons attacks against mankind. This is the Fourth Reich. And, and, and the millions of people are waking up to it. Hallelujah. One of the towns over there, they uh, actually took a projector. I don't know where they got the projector, but how cool. And they put up a gigantic letter Z for solid, you know, it's for solidarity for the whole thing. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Southwest Airlines apologizes after thousands of flights are canceled or delayed. You know, and there's all kinds of speculation. There were people out on Twitter going, oh, it's because of the, you know, the uh, the uh, CMEs that are coming from the sun and it's causing, you know, uh, heliosphere disturbances. And uh, and I'm thinking, but wait a minute, man, <laughs> your, 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 your logic engine's dorked up. If it's only Southwest and not all the other airlines, then that doesn't work. But anyway, yeah, so once again, but they do seem to have a disproportionately large number of what they call IT problems. Makes you wonder. Anyway, next one up. Lithuania abandons Russian gas imports and urges the, uh, the European Union to do the same. I'm like, okay, but when all of your people are under five layers of quilts and blankets shivering to death, you might wonder if that was a good choice. Next one up. Kim Yong, Yo Yong, Kim Jong Un's like tongue twister sister calls South Korea's minister a senseless scum-like guy. I'm like, 
have you looked in the mirror lately? Do you not see, you know, Charles Manson in your own eyes when you say stuff like that? I don't understand it. Next one up. Russian Minister of Defense denies killings in Buka, says footage was staged for Western media. By the way, uh, this is how insane it is. They are – it's all it's, – it's so horribly staged. It's unbelievable, particularly stuff in the Western Ukraine and all these claims. I just looked at a video. I was watching one of the videos that they aired on. I think it was CNN and Fox, whatever. I know it was CNN, and they were um, driving down the road saying, look at the dead bodies, look at the dead bodies. What they didn't notice was the camera was catching the rearview mirror, and as they would drive by the dead bodies, the dead bodies would suddenly come back to life and go, where is a party? I need to eat somebody. I'm a zombie. No, they were never dead in the first place. It's all staged. Now, I'm not saying the whole war is, you know, or special action or whatever is staged. That would be absolutely silly. As a matter of fact, all of the nonsense about, oh, Russia's running away from Kiev right now and, 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 and Ukraine is – no, no, no. All they're doing is they're diverting troops over to the Donbass. Because they have 150,000 Nazis trapped there if they can surround them. They're doing exactly what they said they were going to do. Read about Bandera, B-A-N-B-E-R-A, and understand that these were willing participants in slaughtering people during World War II. Next up. All right, Euronews reports, nuclear bunkers for all. Switzerland is ready as international tensions mount. Oh, my goodness, it's going to be nuclear. What am I going to do? My skin will melt off my face. Did anybody get any iodine? Dog food? I I think I forgot the potassium iodine. Oh, well. (sighs) Next. All right, thank you, Jesus. Next one up, gold-backed ruble. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, what is this concept of money being backed by gold? It's so weird. It's almost like I'm having this deja vu moment. I, I and, and wasn't there some deal where during the Depression they made ownership of personal gold illegal? You don't suppose they do that again, do you? <laughs> Ah, the crazy, crazy world we live in. Next one up. China demands religion teaches socialism and communist directives. Okay, all right. I'm sorry, but this one here, this one here requires a visit from our buddy Gomer. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (sighs) Next one up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As Russia continues its military operation in the Ukraine, Syria shows that a friend in need is a friend indeed. And all this is saying is that, you know, well, what Jesus said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and everybody's getting into it and uh, people are taking sides and new money systems are being and new money relationships and trading in the ruble and the BRICS nations and all that kind of stuff. It is all coming to a reality. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, I actually have to make a little adjustment here in my – I wonder if I dork that up. No, I think it's okay. I got one of these little – I got a little solidarity bracelet. It'll probably get me in trouble. It has a little Z on it. Oh, well. Anyway, next one up. Praise God. Jerusalem Post reports, Poland opened to nukes stationed in the country amidst Russian-Ukraine war. Um. All I can say is, Father, forgive them, for they definitely do not know what they do. 
Okay, enough said there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, what is did, did they think Russia is like – never mind. The next one up. The Indian Express reports, total, totally inhumane, child separations feed anger in a lockdown Shanghai. And what they're really saying here is that the lock – okay, get, get this. New COVID lockdowns. Are they coming to all of us? Well, we don't know. I mean, we got so many indicators that indicate that so many countries are just saying, "The heck with it. We're not going to. We're not going to subscribe to it. We're not. We don't believe it anymore. There's not going to be any lockdowns. It is now a normal seasonal flu. Blah blah blah." And then you have different pockets around the world that are taking a completely opposite approach. And then, of course, you got this entity that refers to itself as Fauci, whatever it is. Okay, coming forward and saying we might have to go back into lockdowns, and it's like, excuse me, who said you could speak? Oh well, crazy world. Next one up. Hallelujah. Ukraine bodies destroyed. Tanks line the streets as Russia retreats. Russia isn't retreating from Italy. They are taking their army and they are sending their forces over to Donbass. There are 300, there were, there were 360,000 troops, you know, uh, regular and um, side that worked, you know, part of the Ukraine uh, army. Well, a bunch of them are gone. And um, and supposedly there's 150K uh, that are over in the Donbass. And all, and, and Russia is just doing exactly what they said they were going to do, getting rid of Nazis. So they're going – they're not about Ukraine. Everybody's like, they're going to take Ukraine. They're going to take Ukraine. They're going to take Ukraine. They want to take what they're going to do. No. They said what the special operation was for. They're sending their troops over to get rid of the problem at Donbass, or they say the Donbass. So it's reference to a region or whatever, as opposed to a town. I know some, sometimes you say the Ukraine, but that's like wrong. That would be like saying, I'm going to the Pennsylvania. I'm going to take a vacation in the Wyoming. Okay. No, it's Ukraine. Okay. Anyway, next one up. All right. Hallelujah. Trump names the biggest danger to America. Anybody want to guess what that is? <laughs> Yeah, he's he's talking about you know the left, of course. Anyway, you know, and I, it's so hard to accept that we're probably going to have to watch another election in 2024. Please, Lord, can't you pull the big red lever and let us get out of here? Next one up. Wall Street Journal states egg prices are going to jump as flu as the bird flu hits poultry poultry flocks. And I'm like, my eight my dollar eighty nine eighteen pack at Walmart just jumped up to three eighty nine. What are they talking about here? I like eggs an awful lot, and I don't want to pay $10 a dozen for eggs, but I might have to. So might you. Hey, and all you fresh farm, you know, fresh farm roving egg eater type people out there, guess what? Now your $7 a dozen eggs is going to go to $30 a dozen. You might have to downshift a little bit on that one. Anyway, next one up, Daily Mail. Russia will end cooperation on the International Space Station. What? Are you kidding me? We have to have the ISS. How else are we going to see all the alien spaceships out there because they forget and leave their camera on? Come on. All right, next one up. The United Kingdom won't get Russia gas, according to Moscow. They offer. <laughs> okay. There's going to be, oh, my gosh. We, oh, things are going to get tight, folks. Buckle up. Look out. This is uh, – I know it's just starting. It's hard to believe. I know. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Greek railway, railway workers refuse to transport NATO tanks towards the Ukraine. Good for them. 
at least a small voice of reason exists out there. Next one up. 100% of fully vaccinated cruise ship hit with COVID-19 outbreak. So just remember this. This is actually pretty simple. Just a little bit of reverse logic. When you get the brochure in the mail that says, this, this, you know, you have been chosen to go on a Bahama cruise. Uh, you know, it's four days long. Uh, you know, and the only thing you're going to have to pay is $15 in drinks and whatever. They just, just remember, when it says that everybody's been vaccinated, you're going to get it. Simple as that. I wonder why that is. No, I don't. Next up, U.S. warns of famine, and this one here, it says Africa and the Middle East are most likely to be affected, but it also mentions lots and lots of places across the world. It's, it's, it's everything, folks. It's not just war. It's, it's the weather. I know, you know, forget about it. Don't, don't even ask yourself the question. We know that it's Planet X. We already know. This was by design. This is all in the Holy Bible. We get it. Okay? It's not anything that any of these unbelievers out there are saying that it is. It's what's in your Bible. So we just need to stay close to the Lord and trust him. Praise God. Next up, Western media clubs together with whitewashed Ukrainian neo-Nazis. And again, the list just keeps on going. United Kingdom sleepwalking into a food crisis as fresh produce set to vanish from supermarkets. You know what? And I'm looking at this 2004 article, from, and it's got a picture of... The entity that refers to itself as Fauci, and I'm not even going to read it because it makes me nauseous. Uh, Hungary, uh, Hungary says no substitute for Russian gas as Germany BASF warns worst crisis since World War II. The list keeps on going on. Ukraine helicopters launch first cross-border airstrike, says Russia, which is true, by the way. They're denying it. Russia's saying it was them, and they did it. Which, you know what? Does it does it expand the nature of the war? I suspect <clears throat> this is my now some some have said that it will spread the war and it will give um a license to Russia to use their air force to start bombing the western U, you know Ukraine okay now uh because they sent a couple of choppers over to knock out an oil depot on Russia's side so they actually went into Russian territory Ukraine army but here's the thing I have a hunch that that's not going to happen. Not necessarily because Putin is the greatest guy in the whole wide world. But if, you know, when you're talking about the lesser of two evils, folks, this is not a complicated question. And I suspect he's not going to take advantage of it, even though he could. He could start sending jets and, and cruise missiles, the whole deal. Call them calibers. Okay. In, in, in uh, you know, he could. I just, don't, I just don't think he will. So keep your eyes on what's going on and pay no attention to CNN, MSNBC, any of the Western media. Don't even. I even got rid of my Epic News. I was paying uh, seven ninety nine or whatever a month for my subscription to, uh, you know, ep, you know, Epic. Uh, is it Epic News? Anyway, um, and I, I just canceled it today because they're starting to regurgitate the lies. And I I'm, I just can't handle it. Anyway, praise God. Next one up. Russian troops suffer acute radiation sickness after digging in the Chernobyl trenches. I don't even know if I believe that at all. I don't believe it. Look, do they look stupid? Why would they do that? I don't believe it. I think it's fake news. BRICS countries will be at the heart of the New World Order, Russian dep uh, Deputy Foreign Minister says. I'm like, yeah. You're good. 
thanks, Captain Obvious. I was on a totally different track. Uh, but you know what? In reality, the whole global financial system is going to collapse. It's going to be a big mess. That's what the Holy Bible says. That's what we're looking out for. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And on that note, let's go ahead. I will play uh, the snippets of audio that uh, uh, Sister Tatiana uh, sent me in regard to the stuff that she's seen going on over in Ukraine on the next program. So I'll roll it to Wednesday. Lord willing. Yeah, it's epic news. I, I ditched it. Uh, I just got tired of, you know, they're, they're joining in on, on the falsities. All right, so anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We are blessed again. Thank you, Lord, uh, to have uh, Brother Gary Wayne uh, join us tonight um, uh, to talk again about his book, How the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Mankind. And this is awesome stuff. Praise Jesus. So let's go ahead and bring him live. Praise God. Brother Gary, are you there? I am, and uh, excited to be back again today and uh, looking forward to covering some information that uh, I know people might be a little bit more familiar with tonight, but we're going to give some information that I think is uh, going to help understand what's going on out there today. So uh, very nice to be back and uh, really, again, listen to your uh, headlines that you were going over. Absolutely terrific stuff. Praise God. Yeah, it's an upside down world and uh, we're just grabbing on and holding, you know, holding on for the ride. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm going to go ahead and I do as I usually, you know, as I always do and, and fade into the background and hand over the mic to you. Thank you so much for joining us and praise God for your incredible work, Brother Gary. Well, thank you. And uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about Chapter 25, Chapter 26 in my book. And chapter 25 is Nimrod, and chapter 26 is the people of the plain. And so Nimrod is one of those really, really juicy, interesting, extraordinary characters that come out of biblical prehistory that overlaps into a lot of Mesopotamian history. And he is absolutely shrouded with uh, other characters and sort of just fascinates anybody who decides that they want to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, who Nimrod was. And Nimrod, you know, for me, he's one of the most influential characters of the early post-Diluvian world and maybe even for hundreds of years afterwards. And maybe one of the key individuals that we need to understand as to what's going on today. And so... When we look at a lot of the allegory that shows up in end time prophecy, and particularly what shows up in the book of Revelation, we get things that are eerily sort of similar to what was happening in the time of Nimrod. And so when we look at Nimrod, I mean, he was seeing a group of people that's over, you know, leading a group of people that are the Noahites uh, after the flood and after they've come down from the mountain. And he had, he was probably the most powerful individual in the world of that time over humans and won't be matched again until Antichrist comes along. 
And so it's important to understand how he ran his government, um, what he did for organizational structures, what he did for religious basis for the people. And once we understand and pull back the veil on some of that information, you start to get very interesting and good understanding in terms of some of the allegories in, in the book of Revelation. And so the, the most obvious one would be Babel, um, where he's, you know, connected to founding Babel in, in Genesis 10. And in Genesis 11, we get the Tower of Babel story that he seems to have been, by all accounts, uh, the king over. And of course, that is the short reign of, of Nimrod before the people are dispersed. And there's very interesting things that are going on in the Tower of Babel. That's very interesting that you get like the a number of the buildings today uh, that are depicted, particularly in the European Union, in terms of the shape of the tower. And so you get these buildings that the EU government are in there that are modeled after sort of the popular images of what that tower might have looked at. And you know, Babel Tower was in antiquity, they were understood as ziggurats and or pyramids. They may have been shaped a little bit different. They could have been steps. This one might have been circular. But they were understand, the understanding was to do the same thing. But when you start to see glo- the globalist movement embracing these kinds of imagery, you know there's something that's going on there. And so we're going to sort of peel that back a little bit. And the other thing is that we need to understand is that Nimrod, he's not classified as one of the seven beast empires, but he is essentially operating a beast-like empire. And he is the father of the Assyrians uh, through staying in Shinar and staying in, in, you know, being followed up by the Akkadians, which are going to produce down the road, the Assyrians. And he's going to have, have and be part of that beginning of the Babylonian Empire and thus the Persian Empire and the Egyptian Empire. And we'll talk a little bit in terms of that relationship in a few minutes. But understand that it's not a coincidence that all of these beast empires had a similar religion to what Nimrod had. And we need to understand that. So when we look at Nimrod, you know, everything is, surrounding Nimrod is is really interesting and or cryptic. And even when we look at the verse where we first are introduced into Nimrod, um, in the very short narrative that is in the Bible, I mean, it's not in there for, you know, a whole lot of verses, but that's just being referenced in there. And even though we don't get any descendants from him, which is obviously... Um, the writers, uh, as, as it was uh, written down in the Bible, they obviously didn't receive the Torah that was going to include the descendants of, of Nimrod. And I think that plays an important time, just as we talked about giant and Raphaim and Nephilim patriarchs aren't listed in the Bible in the Table of Nations, which Genesis 10 is in and which is listing the um, Nimrod story. And so... It's interesting that he has the strut like a giant. But the language, just getting back to that for a second, is just so curious. So just to read from it, 
And I open it up, chapter 25, with, with the uh, chap, uh, Genesis 10, 8. And so I'm going to read from the King James Version Bible, but I mean, it's very similar in all of the English translations on this particular passage. But Genesis 10, 8 says, And Cush begat Nimrod. And some translations might say, as in the NIV or NASB and Bibles like that, that it might say something to the effect that Cush was the father of Nimrod. It means the same thing. That's not the curious part, although it's interesting to know that uh, Nimrod is, by definition, different than Rephaim or Nephilim, because typically, as we get them from the Bible, is that these are giants that are created from the offspring of fallen angels or gods in polytheism and human females. Although I think in polytheism, we get accounts of female goddesses also cre- uh, creating giants from human males. But biblically, we don't get that. So sticking with that biblical thought, he doesn't fit the typical definition of a demigod because he's got a human parent, not an angelic parent. But yet it's the next line that is so intriguing, where it says he began to be a mighty one in the earth, and that Cush was, um, you know, a mighty hunter before the Lord, and he was a, a, a mighty warrior before the Lord. And so when we look at him being a mighty one, which is where I get the warrior sort of um, understanding read into that. Um, that's from the word gibberim. And gibberim shows up 158 times in the Old Testament, but not always for giants, just like David's mighty men aren't uh, all Raphaim or Nephilim. Uh, a couple were like maybe Uriah, Uriah the Hittite and a couple others, you might make that connection, but typically most of the mighty men of David were, were human beings. But it's that word gibberim that can be, but not always, used for a human. And we also, or I mean, gibberim used for a giant, but not always. It can mean just being strong or being valiant, or it can mean uh, the strength of God, or it's also used in the word for excel in terms of the book of Psalms for angels. And so you have to apply the right meaning. So. But we do know he's, he's the offspring of a human male, and we don't know who the mother is, so there is that little opening there that perhaps maybe that's where he would be more Raphaim, but he's never called a Raphaim. He's just called a mighty one. He's not called a giant in the Bible, but he is elsewhere, and that's where it's really sort of mysterious. But it's that word that we have in there that is for me, very, very cryptic. It's that word, he began to be a mighty one. And that word began is a word that I think we ought to dig into to have a better understanding of what might be going on here in the larger sort of context and how that overflows into the other meanings that come out of Nimrod's reign and his um, city and his uh, tower. So began is the Hebrew word, Kalal. It's spelled uh, transliterated C-H-A-L-A-L, but typically that's pronounced with a K and not with an H sound like um, where the Horite would be. It would start with C-H, but this one typically is understood as, as a K sound. So Kalal. And it can mean begin, and it can mean began. 
it's used that way 46 times, but it's also used 143 other times in the Bible. And I wouldn't even rule out begin or began as not being part of the meaning, but one of the interesting things about original Greek words and Hebrew words is they have several different meanings. So you have to apply the right word to the to, so that makes sense in the verse that it is in, and it makes sense in other verses that are related uh, to the passage and in the overall narrative that, it, that, the, that the word would, would fall in. So you need to match all of that up. So the meaning of kalal is uh, to profane, to defile or pollute, as well as begin or begin. And it can also mean as a sub-sort of set of defining profane, defile, and pollute, a ritual, um, as in a ritual that is done in polytheism or the occult. Uh, it can be a sexually applied connotation, ritual or otherwise. And it can be um, defined as defiled or polluted. And another word that you might apply here, it can be defined as breaking your word or violating a covenant with God. And it can also mean to play a flute, like generally Satan is, is associated with and, and stature gods like the pan god. So there's you know a lot of interesting little things that are going on here. And I'm going to focus in on some of that profane and defile and polluting and violating of a covenant. And I think the covenant that he's, he's probably violating as the leader of the Noahites is the covenant that God begins with Noah in terms of right after the flood. And that, you know, the whole concept here of the people who are going to be descendants of Noah is they're going to continue to follow the God who saved them, the God who cleansed the earth of the, the sin and the crimes of the terrible ones, the Nephilim before the flood. And yet we've got a situation here, you know, within a hundred years after the flood where you have all of the people under one people or under one leader, and there's a rebellion that seems to be going on there. And so I think there's a violation to the covenant that was passed down to Noah, the covenant of leadership for the people, and that he began to bring in polytheism and the mystical religion of the Nephilim. And he is reinstituting, reinstituting what I call Enochian mysticism of this religion that crosses the flood. We'll talk about how that happens in, in, in a minute or two. Um, and it is this leading away from God all of the people when they're not that great in number, just after the second chance. And so I think all of this is going on. I think you have a beginning to become a gibbering-like um, individual by breaking the covenant, by bringing, introducing this mystical universal religion on people and forcing it on them and establishing himself as king, which is the same hierarchical organizational structure that was before the flood forced on the antediluvian world that led them and paraded them into the water by apocalypse that these people were the survivors or the descendants of the survivors. Of them. I mean, Nimrod's third generation. Like this is this is this is all within recent memory, 
And this is what is going on that soon. So I do think he began to be a mighty one as a tyrant, as that would also be sort of understood as a mighty one and a warrior, just as he's described as a mighty hunter and a mighty warrior. And I think there might even be something sexually going on there because if he didn't receive any of his uh, genes through copulation with Cush and possibly a fallen angel, that would be a female uh, goddess, then he likely intermarried with giants that were already established after the flood and continued to rule after the Babel scenario and begat dynasties just as we talked about him being linked into the beast dynasty so i think we can look at all of that as being part of the imagery that we're getting out of a, a, a you know a one line possibly two lines genesis 8 and genesis 9 and in genesis 10 goes on to say you know the beginning of his kingdom so i mean he was a ruler he was a king was babel that was the first city, and Aruk, which is the city of Aruk, where Gilgamesh comes from, and Akkad, where the Akkadians come from. And, uh, you know, you've got other cities that are in there like Kalna and Shinar, and you're going to get cities that are kind of go forth from Asher, which is typically understood as a patriarch of Shem, who would have stayed in the land of, of Shinar, which is Sumer. And then out of Asher, he built Nineveh, and uh, Rehoboth, which are cities in Assyria, which is that first beast empire that's going to be involved with Israel, not the first, but the, the second beast empire who's going to exile the northern kingdom. And all the beast empires are intimately related to Israel in their history and in end time prophecy, just as Egypt was the nation where Israel grew up to be a nation um, and was persecuted by uh, a beast king uh, at the time of the Exodus and uh, beast kings before that, uh, as you know, uh, that were enslaving Israel, just as that's what all of these giants wanted to do. They want to enslave humankind, they want to enslave Noahites, and they want to, because they look at themselves as being demigods, as, as superior beings. So when we look at that mighty man, aspect of Nimrod that he had great strength is how he's described in in sort of outside accounts which makes sense if he was going to be a mighty one before God and a, and a, and a giverim and in Josephus as his account of Nimrod and this is all in, in in this chapter that I'm talking about for the most part and Josephus is talking about Nimrod he had great strength and was a bold man so bold as in brash as in arrogant so again this Raphaim and and nephilim characteristic a gibberine characteristic and you have historians like george smith who are going to compare nimrod to uh, an individual that's called idzubar who was also a mighty hunter and a mighty warrior uh, but also classified as a giant i tend to disagree with that I think Itzubar is more equivalent with Gilgamesh, who ruled in Uruk, one of the cities of, of Nimrod, uh, but later than Nimrod, because typically 
Gilgamesh is sixth generation son of Lugalbanda, and Nimrod would be third generation. So if you're going to look for Sumerian equivalents to Nimrod, I would look more to Enmer Kar, who also built a Babel-like tower and also had a dispersion of languages. And um, it seems to be the polytheist account. And he's third generation with Upnapishtim being the Nephilim king who survives the flood with all of his family. And just as you have Noah surviving from the biblical side, which is a human story, so don't confuse the epic of Gilgamesh, as we talked about in previous shows, with the uh, with the uh, Genesis flood story. They're talking about the same event, but one's from a polytheist lens and rationalization, or how what they believe how giants show up after the flood. And the others is from the Bible, which is the Noah story, and we, we are covering the same topics, but from a monotheist lens. And so this Idzubar is said to be uh, 10 to 12 cubits, as they, they write about this, and as the, the Masonic writings also would recognize um, Idzubar to be. And that would be, you know, the same size as uh, Gilgamesh, who was 11 cubits, so it fits right in there, and that basically would have made him using a royal cubit 19 feet tall and 7 feet wide. So he was, and the Itzabar tablets are 12, just as the Gilgamesh tablets are 12. I think this is a transliteration um, of some of the more ancient um, writings that will use different sort of names. So you don't have Upnapishtim in the legends of Itzubar. Uh, you have Zaya Zudra and transliterations of that. And I put both of those names in, in, in my book so that people understand that these would be the same accounts, just different names in the different languages of, of Mesopotamia. And so I don't think Nimrod is Itzubar as George Smith uh, asserts and a lot of other secular so-called secular historians also sort of connect them with other sources where we get information from uh, from um, Nimrod is Freemasonry and the ancient Masonic writings that are part of the uh, old Polychronicon, which is the ancient oral history of the royal Masons of the royal bloodlines and Albert Mackey put some of them in a book called The History of, Freemason, History of Freemasonry in about 1850. And so uh, you have get legends of uh, Nimrod are, is one of the legends that are in there that uh, they account in the legend of the Tower of Abel. And there's a few other ones as well as Nimrod's going to be mentioned in the Cook poem. So lots of information coming out of Masonic understanding of prehistory. And this is important to understand is because they recognize them as a real individual. And as we're going to cover off a few times that I've mentioned in the past, he's going to become probably the most famous patriarch or second famous patriarch, depending on how you want to rank them, of the Masonic belief system. Uh, after the flood, because he's going to be the first grandmaster after the flood who writes the first constitution for uh, the Masonic society based on who he partners with and what is brought to him you know, that allows him to build Babel City and Babel Tower. So 
He's not thought of as, as, a, as a giant, though, in the Masonic accounts. They talk of him more as like a giant. So similar sort of language that we're kind of getting out of the Bible. He has a strut of a Nephilim, a strut of a Raphaim, but something's a little bit different, just as Cush is the, you know, the son of a human father. And so we also have him understood as a warrior king in outside biblical accounts and not a shepherd king. And so um, in occultism and polytheism, you get a marriage of the warrior king and the priest king. And so they kind of like to make him in that sort of character because he's in charge of a, of a, a civilization that has a polytheist uh, religion and so he's going to be like a, a fisher king a shepherd king and a warrior king but that's not the biblical sort of understanding a shepherd king would be more like a jesus and it would look after the flock make the flock better whereas a hunter a warrior king just as nimrod is described as a hunter he gets gratification from the victim and from killing and so there's a distinction there in terms of the different sort of aspects of, of, of the leadership of, of kingship. And he would be, in my opinion, more of the, of the hunter king, but in understand the polytheists will overlay that shepherd, fisher king, philosophical and allegorical uh, title to make him a leader of the good side, not the evil side, and that he would be king of light, a king of knowledge. And it's all important to understand how and why look at Nimrod differently than what we would look at Nimrod as a Christian differently. Because it's always good to understand what they believe because, and we don't have to believe what they believe, we just need to understand it because what's important is what they do with their belief system. And that's what we need, need to always be focused on and why we need to understand that. So understanding all of this, we understand uh, Nimrod, as you take that back to its Hebrew uh, word Nimrod, 5248, it means rebel. And it means valiant as well, sort of in the, uh, sort of this understanding of a brave warrior and or akin to the Nephilim or the men of renown as are described in 6.4 or some of the famous kings and things that are described in, in the Old Testament after the flood. So he'd be one of those valiant ones as that's understood. But it's that word rebel. So that means he rebelled. And that's his name. That may have not have been his original name. That just may be a name that was given to uh, him by biblical writers, or it's in a name that's adopted from a foreign language because it's a word that is not originally Hebrew, so it's been adopted in, that may have a different meaning to it. But in the Hebrew meaning, it's understood as a rebel, and in this case, a rebel against God, and he becomes what I would call the first tyrant, the just as the Gibberim, particularly when you're looking at the tyrants that are described in passages like Ezekiel 32, where they're called mighty ones. And these are ones who did terrible things on the earth and were slain, and ones who have been slain 
before them that preceded the king, uh, the kings that are on the earth at that time, and in particular Pharaoh, who's being talked to, those ones who were on the earth before and who were slain, they are in the abyss, in the abyss prison. So these are the worst of those Raphaim type of individuals. And he's kind of an archetype of that figure as well. And so we're also told by Josephus as well, is that he did indeed found a mystical religion, and he formed a form of a world government with that mystical religion. And so what we can understand is is that um, there are close relationships here to Nimrod as being a Raphaim or, or a Nephilim, and so much so that when you get the Greek influence on the translation out of Hebrew of the Old Testament, which we, you know, have come to know as the Septuagint, in the same passages in Genesis 10 through 10, 8 through 10, 10, you get Nimrod as being translated as he became a giant, not as a mighty one. They would understand a mighty one from the Greek understanding of the heroes, both before and after the flood, as being the offspring of gods and human females and demigods. And their understanding would be that that term gibberim would be applied to a giant, which, again, it can be true. But I think there might be their biases on that. But it also says, and it really gets interesting here, he was a giant hunter and a giant hunter before God. And this is where he would have earned his, his fame from. So I understand all of the reasons for why some claim them to be a giant, because there's a lot of outside biblical and standard biblical text that says that he's a giant, including the Septuagint, which a lot of people would, would point to. But again, it's that he's the offspring of Cush. So he's something a little bit different. But with, with, with what he finds, he may have become like a Raphaim or a, a Nephilim. And so I think this is that a gibbering, a human can be a gibbering, but he cannot be a Nephilim or Raphaim by definition because he's a human is the offspring of a human, just as Cush is the father of Nimrod. Um, but a giant can be either a Raphaim, a Raphaim or a Nephilim and also a gibbering. So there's slight sort of significance to the definitions of, of the meanings there. And so I think Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one. In other words, he wanted to be a Raphaim. He wanted to be uh, like those giants. He adopted a polytheist religion that was the religion of the giants. He hunted them got the respect and was considered like one and then intermarried with those giants afterwards. And when you look at what is going on here at Babel is that there's something that is going to change Nimrod's life. And what that is, is that other individual that's called Hermes or Harmines, as the Masons like to call him, he finds two pillars uh, or one of the two pillars that are prepared for before the flood. One pillar is designed to survive a flood. One is to, to, to survive an apocalypse by fire. And so it's the one that floats, that 
Hermes is going to find, and it's going to have instructions to find all of the Enochian knowledge and all of the information he's going to require on the Enochian mystical religion. And this is Enoch, son of Cain, who developed the seven sacred sciences that we've talked about, which led to the Enochian mystical religion of the antediluvian world. This information is found in 36,525 books buried on nine volts stacked on top of each other, buried underneath the Great Pyramid. Hermes finds this pillar, finds that information. He takes it back to Nimrod. Nimrod uses that to install this new mystical religion, and, and he uses the knowledge to build Babel City and Babel Tower, and this might be part of the knowledge that he's also using because they had ability to manipulate DNA, before the flood that I've talked about in past shows. And if that's the case, and that is the knowledge that he found, they may have found a way to enhance him, and he would have become a mighty one. So if that's part of the transition as well, I'm, I'm certainly open to that fact. But he certainly acted like a Raphaim, and then was so revered by the Raphaim that he's going to intermarry with them after Babel, and he stays in Shinar, which is the transliteration of Sumer uh, into Hebrew. And so the uh, <clears throat> mythical religions are begat at Babel, and that's why we're getting that allegory for uh, the end-time religion and its connection to the beast languages. And so we also talked in past shows about the Raphaim were the aboriginal people in all of the nations after the flood. So it doesn't matter whether or not you're talking about giants that are going to be in Shinar, where Nimrod is going to stay, or whether or not it's in Egypt, where Mizraim and Hermes is going to go with them to start the Egyptian religion, according to Masonic records, they're going to run into giants there as well because they're the aboriginals in all of the uh, original Middle East nations shortly after the flood. And so these are the nations that the people of Canaan are going to, um, or you know, Canaan is going to uh, move into the covenant land and his sons and daughters are going to intermarry with the Raphaim, which is why and we can, we've talked about this past where, in shows past where you get the patriarchalist nations because nine out of the 12 um, who don't have a name, they're going to have a Raphaim patriarch and that's why they're not listed there. Just as Arba, who is the patriarch of the Anakim, as the book of Joshua tells us about, isn't listed in the table of nations and we get other nations that are in the table of nations that are in the old testament as well and we've covered some of them in past shows as well so it's sort of consistent in what uh, what i'm talking about and so this is the religion that people is that, that is going to be overlaid by nimrod and hermes on this uh smaller group of people but it's the total collection of the noahites after the flood all of humankind as we understand our own human identity after the flood. And they're going to intermarry with giants, just as Nimrod's going to intermarry uh, with the royal dynasties of the giants to create new dynasties. And so this leads into chapter 27, which I call the people of the plain. And it's a rather short chapter, 
But it's interesting what, what is going on with the minds of the people at that time. And it starts to, again, sort of clarify the picture as to what's going on in that geopolitical scenario after the flood, when typically most Christians are led to believe that they're the only ones there, except as, I, as I've explained just a couple of minutes ago, is that the Raphaim are actually the Aboriginal peoples, just as you have the Emim defined that way, just as you have the Horim defined that way. And all of these names of these Raphaim nations are all defined coming out of the Hebrew meaning and lexicon as being the Aboriginal peoples and in terms of the land of the covenant. And there's also these same types of giants of the East, like the Kadmonim, that are talked about in Genesis 15, and a few other tribes I like to call the KKK of ancientology, uh, which is where I think a group that we might know of might have taken their name from, and they have all of these sort of <laughs> names and titles that sort of go into ancientology, whether or not it's Cyclops and dragons and stuff like that. So it seems to be a close association there. But it's the people that are coming down to, from the mountain. Because God tells them to go out, because they're afraid to at that time. You've just had this great flood, and they're concerned that there's going to be another flood come. And God provides a rainbow that says that there's not going to be one, but they're still apprehensive. They've got this sort of scar that's on their psyche, and they have this inbreded fear, and they don't want to leave the safety of the top of the mountain. But God forces them out to spread and multiply and fill the earth as it was before the flood. So in my mind, I understand the fear of another flood, but once God has guaranteed that, I start to wonder what else is going on with that. And I might suggest that the people were well aware within the first hundred years or so, and at the time, and at the same time, in the time frame I'm talking about is from the ark landing to the building of the Tower of Babel, they would have been informed that giants were out there. And these would have been the giants at that time that helped Nimrod rise to power. He's going to war with these giants. He's going to, as the Septuagint talks about in his interpretation, he's going to earn this giant reputation, this giant slayer reputation. And he's going to be that mighty hunter, this mighty warrior before God. And that's going to help him usurp kingship because he's going to promise to protect the people. And that's a very, very important concept that's going to show up again in, in the end time with Antichrist. And I think the people at first might accept it, and he doesn't get, they don't receive the full weight of the tyranny. But as Josephus talks about, is his kingship, turned to tyranny, turned to evil, and led people away from God, that they were rebelling en masse against the God of the Bible, all, hum all the collective humanity there. And in polytheist religions, they swear oaths. And so you would have had these oaths, these covenants that were broken with God and resworn to be enemies of the God of the Bible, and they would have started to blame God for what happened with the flood and all of the people that were killed. And Nimrod would have been manipulating things as to that these were righteous, good kings, and that he would have started to create a 
society and a culture that was very, very similar to that. And that's the imposing of the, the mystical religion and the development of the knowledge to build the city and build the tower. Because I wouldn't imagine that Noah gave him that knowledge. Noah was probably still alive and was still alive because he lived 350 years after the flood. So he wouldn't have provided that knowledge. But somewhere they got this building knowledge to do that. And I think that is explained in the Masonic accounting of the knowledge that Hermes brings to um, Nimrod. But we also get a hint of that in the Bible as well, that speaking as one language with one tongue and acting together, anything that they decide to do will no longer be prevented from them doing. And so not only do we get that, but we also get the manifestation with the building of of the of the city and, and the tower. So we get a hint of that sort of knowledge. So I think why they accept this tyranny, and there would have been a little bit of infighting, and he would have put down any sort of uprising against them with him and his people that were ruling and trained in the arts of war, um, they would have put that down. And as it went, you get greater and greater tyranny that is going on. And so when we look at what has taken place in the time of Nimrod, we see something that God is going to ensure doesn't happen again until the end time. And he does that by dispersing the languages. And until we're talking totally as one language or technology has the ability, let's say, to bridge it into being one sort of language that there's no communication issues and that there are no more borders again because all of the land, as we've talked about in past shows, they're, they're, it's assigned out. And so this is going to end in the end time where they bring in this, this world globalist government. So what happens very early on is sort of that topic uh, happens very early on into the post-Diluvian epoch is that sort of understanding or doctrine that I like to sort of look at how do we understand uh, history we have to look at prehistory you want to understand where we are today you have to look at history and prehistory and to understand prophecy you have to understand history and prehistory and nothing is new under the sun this whole thing sort of repeats itself and I think that you know, Nimrod was trying to raise his throne into heaven by creating a ziggurat that would reach into heaven. And I think he is doing just as Antichrist will do in Daniel 8.10, where he actually does reach into heaven and will bring down some of the starry hosts. And that's why I say you have this repetitive, nothing is new under the sun thing that we need to be continually aware of. And so you have this world that is overflowing with giants and you have these humans that are the, you know, the pure blood descendants of Noah and his wife and the three sons and their wives that are going to be going into this world of Raphaim and they're afraid to go in. And that's why they decided to stay as a people so that they wouldn't be wiped from the face of the earth. 
And that's the big fear. And that's going to be one of those doctrines. And we're hearing, we're hearing it now through all sorts of apocalyptic approaches. But one would include, you know, like war and nuclear war or global warming. But look for more of that and then have that form into more of a religious sort of prophetic and false prophet scenario as we get closer that we have to come together as one people lest we be destroyed from the face of the earth. And so the Raphaim are, in my opinion, the descendants of, or the ancestors of the royal bloodline that we're going to see rise up. And I think we're going to see some Nephilim you know, show up somehow, some way in, in the end time as well. But we need to be aware of the bloodlines that come down from the Rephaim nations and through the beast nations and have dominated society ever since with a, their, their elite, noble, feudal system where they control the religion, they control the education, they control the army, and they control the government and the kings as this typically was the setup and will be re again as we enter into the end time. So what happens with Hermes when he finds these two pillars and takes it to Nimrod, they built the Babel city and tower we talked about, and he, he imposed this Enochian mysticism. There'll be no, there was no choice at a certain point. And he was, Nimrod is known for executing people in furnaces uh, who didn't uh, obey him. Again, not biblical, but from what we understand of Nimrod and the type of individual he was, it seems very, very likely that he may have been sort of the first post-Diluvian person who was going to do genocide and things like that using um, um, kiln furnaces and things like that. So he ruled as a tyrant, and he continued to behave this way again after the flood, or I mean after Babel after the dispersion. And so it's the cities that he rebuilds. And I think he renovates those cities because many of those are antediluvian cities. And so I think he finds them and he renovates them and claims them as his own. And again, so he's, what he's doing after Babel, he is still magnifying the pantheon. He is, he is glorifying the cities of antediluvian polytheism. He's renovating the famous cities of Sumer uh, as part of his new empire. And he would continue to develop that religion as the Magi and where the word magician comes from. And we understand that, you know, coming down through uh, the ages as it shows up in the, the birth of of Jesus with three magi uh, following their belief system and seeing things that they would interpret in the sky and in, and through astronomical alignments and through astrology that there was going to be a, a birth of a powerful king and they went to, to go honor them. And so this, this magi is the um, second, and I would say the first probably pillar of religion, but I think they lived the, the uh, Egyptian second pillar becomes a little bit more dominant, but this is the religion of Sumeria, where Nimrod is, is that is going to be exported 
to India and, and to the east. And when we look at the history of the Hindus and they look at their religion, is that this is the same religion that are brought by Aryans, which are Raphaim um, after the flood. Um, although polytheists will say that they're ones that survived the flood. And that's, again, I'll leave that open that that's a possibility. But they take their religion into Sumeria after the flood and into the Indus Valley. And they're two parts of the same religion and uh, parts of the Indo-European or Indo-Aryan languages. So you see that connection. From a biblical understanding, we understand this to be Nimrod's religion that he pioneers. And so... This is a religion that is going to come down through all of the beast empires. It's the daughters of Babylon, as the allegory comes down. And it is that organizational structure of all the beast kingdoms. And all of those beast kingdoms are ones that are have a close association with Israel, as we talked about earlier in the show here. So let's just sort of roll this forward as we close this out. To the end time again. Why it's important to understand the different aspects of of Nimrod, and Babel is the obvious uh, connection. Babel as being the Hebrew word that is the root word for Babylon, and Babylon is the city um, is not only a city of the beast empire of Babylon, but it's also the end time universal religion. And you have this woman on the beast of empires in Revelation 17, just as a woman, not all of the time, but used in an allegorical form, is often used as an allegory for a religion. But this is the one that is populating and controlling all of the empires. And so the only religions... The only countries in early times that are going to have a monotheist religion um, is going to be with Abraham through the creation of Israel a few generations later, and then down the road, you're going to have Christianity uh, pop up. But you have this island of monotheism in this sea of, of polytheism, and it's, it's been like that you know, pretty much since the flood. I mean, obviously there's monotheism starting off very quickly after the flood led by Noah, but it's usurped within a hundred years of the flood. And that's why it's important to understand that they've been converted over by force and tyranny into polytheism and have held that type of influence and enforcement ever since and will again in the not so distant future. And so this is the religion of the Nephilim. This is the religion of the Raphaim. This is the religion of the beast empire that's coming. And this is the universal religion. This is the mystery Babylon, Mysterian, that's the, the Greek word. This is that universal polytheist religion. Understanding, and again, as we've talked about in other shows, is that all of the polytheism around the world is rooted in Babel. And then secondarily through um, Egypt, but that is also rooted in in Babel. So it all comes from one sort of source. And that Antichrist 
He is going to rise up through this Babylon religion. He will upset it and destroy Babylon and set up a new religion at the midpoint, as Daniel 11 uh, talks about and Revelation 13 talks about. And then you have the destruction of Babylon in, in Revelation 17 and the details in Revelation 18. But understand, this is the religion that's coming. And it's going to decrease. We're going to see Christianity um, eaten away from within, and we're already seeing that. And you're only going to see this veneer of Christianity that's going to survive, even though we're going to have a strong pushback from people who literally believe in what the Bible says. But the leaders and the masses are going to convert out of Christianity over into this polytheist religion as they will bring it home as the polytheists believe that monotheism went rogue and that the true religion the theosophy talks about is their religion and that's the religion of the giants and the fallen angels and that this is all designed to lead people away from god and to be governed by giants again or the descendants of giants in the end time and hermes just as Antichrist is an archetype. Hermes is an archetype of the false prophet. So you can see why it's important to understand this sort of allegory. And this is just a small sliver of what helps us understand the book of Revelation in particular and all end time prophecies. So um, next week's show, I'm going to continue with this, but we're going to talk more about the Tower of Babel and the great white brotherhood that begins in Babel. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Brother Gary. Um, again, one of my favorite. I know I get emails all the time from people going, man, that's a show I never miss. Um, but again, I just you know, cannot thank you more for joining us and to walk us through with such a deep level of detail to help, you know, to help get, get our arms around what is really a very complicated uh, history to unpack at the level that you have. And uh, it is a very enormous blessing for all of us to have you join us. Uh, each month and I just wanted to again say thank you and also would you share with people where they can get more information again yes if you want to get uh, more information on what I'm talking about or more information just get a hold of me or buy my book the best way to do that is through the genesis 6 conspiracy.com that's genesis 6 the number 6 conspiracy.com on that site there's a contact the author so if you want some information on Nimrod I send that out at no charge if you want to get a good feel for my book. I've got an excerpt of all 98 chapters on there, so you'll get a good feel for whether or not that's the book for you. If you wanted to buy a book, you can buy a signed copy from me from that website, from the Buy Now page, and or you can link over from the Buy Now page to get the Kindle version from Amazon or to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or amazon.ca to buy the book from them so lots of ways to get a hold of the book and that's the best and easiest way to get a hold of me and ask me a question or get some information that uh, that, that i hand out at no charge that's awesome. Praise God. I love I love that it's in Kindle now because you can do those, you know, electronic notes and things like that that are just and they're all searchable. Oh, it makes it easier. Yeah. It's some cool yeah, it stuff. Makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. Thank you so much again for joining us, Gary. God bless you all. We'll see you this Wednesday well, night you. at 7 p.m. And um and always a blessing. I'm already looking forward to the next program. I say that every time and I mean it. Thank you so much, Gary. God bless you.
Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise his holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure until you come back for your bride to set her free. Write our names in your book of life. We are cleansed through your holy sacrifice. As we lift your name on high. Renew our mind. Renew our soul. Remove the scars from our past. And deem us righteous. We rebuke all deceptive lies. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure. We are the branches on the living tree. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure. Until you come back for your bride to set her free. I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory. <laughs> 